Daniel Johnson, welcome to Mormon Discussion. How are you today? I'm doing well. I'm glad to be here. Good, good. Glad to have you on. This will be kind of a, a different interview uh, from lots of the others that I've done. I, I really find this topic to be fascinating. We're going to talk today a little bit, I guess, about Book of Mormon geography, but specific, uh, specifically with Daniel, uh, with your expertise and the things that you do. So why don't you start us off by giving us a brief bio about who you are and, and what it is that you do that, uh, that makes life so exciting? All right. Well, I'm going to have to pare that down a little bit, but... Um... Hey, my name is, is uh, Daniel Johnson, and um, I am currently living in uh, California. Uh, I work as uh, an artist and a teacher, and uh, I've always had a great interest in um, ancient American history, um, Book of Mormon, archaeology, how the two might come together. I've seen the evolution over, over the years of, um, you know, some perhaps questionable conclusions and finds early on to much more solid scholarship that's being uh, that's kind of going on right now. So I'm the primary author of uh, two books, uh, an LDS guide to Mesoamerica and an LDS guide to the Yucatan. So these books um, came out uh, uh, through uh, various um, uh, trips that my co-authors and I did to these areas in uh, uh, Mexico, Guatemala, and Honduras. And our, our studies uh, and um, research that we did prior to those trips and after those trips, we also began to give a lot of firesides uh, around our stake in California. And pretty soon people began to ask us, um, are you going to be writing a book about all this? And we thought, uh, well, you know, why not? And in all the things that we had gathered, uh, the books on Mayan scholars um, and also the books from uh, LDS authors and scholars as well, we kind of thought someone needs to write a book that would be a site-by-site guide to all of these places to go how to get there, what to look for, give a context to what you're seeing, and then relate you know, things uh, there to, to Book of Mormon events. Um, no one had actually done that in that kind of format. So we eventually did that, and the books are the result. Awesome. Awesome. What, what got you? I mean, I, you talked a little bit early on there about just kind of having an interest in this stuff, but what really got you into doing some of these tours and, and going to these areas and finding out about them? I and mean, what, what was really the precipice for getting you down that, uh, down that road? I'm not really sure. I've always had an interest in this. Um, my mother was a convert to the church, uh, being raised Southern Baptist, had lots of, of doctrinal issues that were never uh, kind of resolved um, to her satisfaction. And she always had a great love of um, uh, ancient cultures, uh, especially with, with the Americas in North America and in Central America. So I was sort of raised with that and always uh, saw shows and read books about these places like you know, Chichen Itza or Teotihuacan. Um, uh, and just thought it'd be fascinating to go there. So, um, and finally in, uh, 1999, I just, I took a trip to, um, the, uh, to Cancun and Yucatan Peninsula with my wife and just saw how easy it was to get there. And so that's, you know, that's kind of how it started just saying, Hey, you know, these places are easy to get to. It's not that much of a trek, you know, that, that uh, mysterious. So these weren't really official tours that we did. It was just, like I say, my, my good friends, my co-authors and I, uh, just kind of going down there, and sometimes it was sort of seat of the pants, uh, uh, you know, getting from one place to another. Sometimes it was getting down there and finding places we had no idea existed and deciding to go go and see them. But just kind of, um, uh, I guess, just a, a quest for adventure and knowledge and trying to find a bit more about these places. A little bit of Indiana Jones in you, huh? Uh, well, that could be said. Okay. <laughs> I uh, I wanted to ask you uh, what you make of the Book of Mormon geography uh, especially the debate that's going on today. I, I see a lot of talk about the Great Lakes model versus the Mesoamerican model. And maybe just ask you, one, how you've navigated that, but also, two, 
obviously you've you've you see Mesoamerica as the setting for the Book of Mormon. What is it about Mesoamerica that you say, "Yep, this is the place"? Well, those are some some good questions, and um, I think to to begin with. What I would say is that the general consensus these days, really overwhelmingly, is what we would call a limited geography model. That um, the events mentioned in the Book of Mormon from uh, you know, the land of first inheritance with Lehi's group to the battle around the Hill of Cumorah, that it took place in a fairly small area, you know, a, a limit of around a few hundred miles. So it really could not have taken the entire Western Hemisphere. So um, careful scrutiny of the Book of Mormon gives gives most uh, scholars that that approach, that outlook. So the question is, where um, did that limited area exist? Since the clues within the Book of Mormon are, are fairly vague. And as you mentioned, you know, there are two sort of competing theories right now and competing theories are good. That's how we, you know, figure stuff out and 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 whittle out what is not correct, perhaps. That would be the Great Lakes theory. Um giving very much a North American setting to the Book of Mormon. And the other, of course, is the, the Mesoamerican setting. Uh, so I'm uh, heavily involved with the Book of Mormon Archaeological Forum, which includes uh, some pretty uh, heavy-duty scholars and people like um, Daniel C. Peterson, John Sorensen, uh, uh, people who are um, really are uh, scholars. They're, I mean, they're, they're linguists, they're anthropologists, they're historians. They're, they're people who really know what they're talking about. They've dedicated their lives and, and um, their careers to this type of thing. So I can say the general consensus among um, groups like that is that Mesoamerica fits best in terms of geography, in terms of population density, in terms of ancient cultures, in terms of even things like large scale cities and um, uh, warfare, uh, writing, all kinds of things, uh, multi-level societies. Many of the things that you find in the Book of Mormon, which are kind of unique and you don't find really anywhere else, you find in Mesoamerica at the correct time periods. I can also say, not to be too negative, that the Great Lakes crowd, so the North American crowd, I've watched their presentations, I've seen their arguments, and for the most part, they don't seem to have a good understanding either of the Mesoamerican theory of things or of just archaeology in general. And that sort of comes through when they're when they're kind of giving their viewpoints and trying to show, um, uh, trying to sort of prove their point about things. So it, it's fine to attack and try to um, improve on, on an existing model or an existing theory, but you really have to know it. First of all, and my experience with, with um, uh, looking at, at their point of view is that they just don't seem to have a good understanding of that. And so their their grasp of archaeology isn't that great. Um, and again, when you look at just the amount of scholarship on one side or the other, it's fairly lopsided. So I don't think we know for sure, but I would say at this point uh, that the Mesoamerican model is the best model so far. Excellent, excellent. I uh, well, I should point out we're talking to Daniel Johnson today, one of the authors of an LDS guide to Mesoamerica. Uh, Daniel, what would you say to the critics who say there is no archaeological evidence for the Book of Mormon? And maybe, maybe I should preface it a little bit better too by saying that I, I certainly understand their argument. In their mind, they're expecting certain artifacts to show up. I don't know a uh, a stone with the name Nephi written on it, or uh, some painting on the side of a cave that that shows some story from the Book of Mormon with specific pronouns used in the Book of Mormon. And those aren't the type of things we find. So, what would you say to the critics who who say that essentially archaeological uh, archaeological evidence of the Book of Mormon doesn't exist in Mesoamerica? Well, I mean, they, they have their points, and there are some issues we're still resolving. I think what you could do is if you could take a look at the knowledge of the ancient Americas, say, in 1830, 
and make a whole long list of things the Book of Mormon claims and then try and back it up with what was known at the time, you'd have almost no support. Come to now, the modern day, almost all those things we can check off as saying, hey, we found this, we found this, we found something very much like this. So there are lots of things that we know more about now. And one thing I would say, the critics aren't interested in finding support for the Book of Mormon. So if they look at a particular problem, they kind of come up against a wall, they say, that's it. That, that's not there. The Book of Mormon's not true, and they stop. Supporters of the Book of Mormon, of course, have an interest in trying to find support for it. And they would say, well, this line of reasoning or this line of evidence isn't getting us anywhere. Is there some other way we can look at what the Book of Mormon says? Is there something other way to interpret it? And uh, the truth tends to not just be, you know, A or B, black or white. There tends to be um, many shades of gray, and sometimes what you find is, is unexpected. So, you know, I think the, the critics aren't putting forth much effort. They're not wanting to find support and similarities, and the supporters are willing to put forth the effort, and sometimes that's what it takes, and it's not really an exact science. But I would say there are a number of things which are very similar to what the Book of Mormon says, things that were completely unknown in Joseph Smith's time, and some of the stuff that we're really only finding out, you know, in the 20th century, or in the latter part of the 20th century, or even the 21st century. In your visits to these areas, and I, I just want to ask it this way, I guess, all the things that you've seen and the places you've, you've been able to, to stop at and view, what are some of the things that catch your eye in these uh, Mesoamerican uh, cities and structures that seem to point you back towards seeing an evidence in the Book of Mormon? Well, one thing I think would be the fact that these things are there, uh, that nothing about this was known in 1830. Uh, the, the prevailing theory at the time was that there was no permanent structure on the American continents older than the Spanish conquest. So the Book of Mormon really kind of appeared in a vacuum, in a sense. You know, they knew about the mound builders, and there, of course, were theories about, um, you know, Israelite or ancient Hebrew origins for the Native Americans, but there wasn't really anything concrete, and there's really no archaeological work done at all. So these uh, sites really only began to be to come to public knowledge, you know, around the end of the 1830s and beginning of the 1840s. And um, the more we look down there, the more we're finding things. We're finding population densities that um, would support the vast numbers mentioned in the Book of Mormon. Uh, there are cities that have um, defensive fortifications that perfectly match what Captain Moroni is described as having built. Uh, there are uses of gold, fashioning them into plates with hieroglyphic writing on them that the Maya used. Um, there is actually a decent amount of support for uh, horses. Uh, a lot of the types of events mentioned, uh, like two great warring factions that warred for hundreds of years, you know, we know that existed. I mean, the very idea of, of, of massive wars in general wasn't something really accepted until the latter part of the 20th century. For Before that, the idea... Uh, among most scholars, was that the Maya had become a peaceful utopian society. And, you know, the more we're looking at that, the more we're seeing that it kind of squares with many things Book of Mormon says. Uh, there were kings. There were queens. There were judges. There were, there were military captains over armies. There were uh, scribes that kept sacred knowledge. Um, you know, many things like that. And so it's, it, it kind of depends on what you want to look for. But these are the types of things that we've come across, and we've tried to 
uh, put in our books, and also, you know, dispel any kind of what I call the Mormon myths about Book of Mormon. Any things that are not really have a strong foundation, we're trying to get away from those, or any things that are our traditions about the Book of Mormon that the Book of Mormon doesn't, doesn't actually say. We can discard that if it's not supported by, by archaeology. So, like I say, I, I think there are quite a few little things. Um, you know, there's no um, gold plate written in Reformed Egyptian that says, Welcome to Zarahemla. I think there are many reasons for that, but I think there are a number of uh, smaller things that are enough to keep, you know, some support for the faith. And you talked a little bit there about the population density in, in some of these areas that we can tell from, from, I guess, the historical narrative of these societies. But this is one of the things that the critics like to point out is that the Book of Mormon talks about, you know, this band of, of Nephites who arrive in the promised land and all of a sudden before we know it, there are tens of thousands. And yet, as you're pointing out, once we get rid of the assumption that, that the Nephites are all that we're talking about, and once we look at these areas, it sounds like from what you're saying that there actually is support that the numbers of their population actually does fit the Book of Mormon. Yeah, I think so. And one thing we have to understand is that just from an archaeological point of view, there are people living here. Uh, you know, there are people living in this place who have been here for thousands and thousands of years. And we don't have to imagine Lehi's group um, uh, arriving in a land that's completely uh, pristine and unknown. There were people here. In fact, even by the Book of Mormon's account, there were people here. There were the Jaredites, uh, who still had a few more centuries going in their civilization that the Nephites didn't find for a while. There were the people of Zarahemla that they eventually found. And so there certainly could have been other groups. Every now and then you come across a city or a person or a group of people that doesn't seem to have really any any precedent. Um, so if we look at the idea of Lehi's group arriving in a land where there were people already there, a lot of things in the Book of Mormon become much easier to understand. How the Lamanites so quickly became more numerous, for example, and some issues that are um, uh, potential stumbling blocks like the DNA issue, they become much easier to resolve if we have that in mind. You talked earlier about essentially the critic expecting us to find a gold plate. You know, if the church is true, then then why can't you find some kind of really direct evidence? Uh, you mentioned kind of jokingly a gold plate written in Reformed Egyptian that talks about the land of Zarahemla. I sometimes wonder if it's really fair to expect that kind of evidence. Like, yes, it'd be nice, and, and yes, those types of evidence are found from time to time in different societies when we're trying to track certain things down. But even with biblical research, evidence just doesn't come along that easily, does it? No, I, I mean, archaeologists will kind of tell you that's the nature of archaeology. Your, your expectations really are not quite the same as, as what you find. And, and the gold plate thing is interesting. I think there are several reasons that we haven't come across that exactly. Well, we actually have come across um, uh, gold. Like I say, there at Chichen Itza um, at the well were found um, gold plates worked by the Maya with inscriptions, hier hieroglyphs, and images in them. Um, there are other places, uh, for example, in Oaxaca, you can see similar things. You can find a gold copper alloy uh, used by the Moche people in Peru, which I have to remember is as a, 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 a favorite uh, high school history teacher of mine came, the Spanish. She said they came for the three Gs, gold, glory, and God, in that order. And so any gold they found would have been taken and um, destroyed and melted down. So um, I think anything like a gold plate, a record like that, would have been 
extremely well hidden, so it was never found by them. Or if it was found by the Spanish, it would have been melted down. I've got countless uh, uh, accounts of how the Spanish destroyed the writings they found. They smashed the idols they found. They really tried to culturally destroy the people that were there. So it would be very surprising to me to find these type of relics. Even the Book of Mormon itself says that uh, Moroni, as the carrier of the records, was hunted down by the Lamanites. It was their purpose to destroy that record. And actually destroying records was a common thing that happened in um, Mesoamerican cultures. One conquering group would destroy the records of the, the group they co- that they conquered. So I also think the use of gold plates was probably fairly rare. Uh, that maybe it was just the Nephite record keepers that kept it for that purpose. The idea of gold plates is an interesting one in that nothing like that was known in Joseph Smith's time. In Joseph Smith's gold Bible, uh, there would be no, uh, again, no uh, precedent or antecedent for that. However, we know of countless accounts, and I've actually written about these and, and given presentations on them, of very important records kept on gold, silver, and other metals. And this is actually mainly a, a Middle Eastern type of practice. And so I think that was a practice that Nephi brought with him and that remained among the record keepers. And even among the Nephites, it's probably a fairly rare practice. In, in a time right now, I think with the Internet age, I, more so than I think in any other time, that we've got critics who are really making a lot of noise out there, and it's affecting uh, the faith of, of members of the church to an extent that obviously the church is now kind of battling back by releasing some essays and, and being more forthright and transparent with, with some of the, the difficult information. You, you've been to these areas. You've seen these cities. You see the connections that are made to what the Book of Mormon uh, speaks of, and yet we live in an internet, internet age where critics make a lot of noise and it seems hard for many of the faithful to to kind of press forward in faith. Uh, what is it about these areas that have, have helped your testimony, or how have they impacted your testimony? Now, that, that's a good question, and I think the idea of, of how much information is available with the Internet is, is really interesting. You know, both good information and bad information, or I should say both information that is accurate and a lot that is inaccurate. So I appreciate the fact that church is... Uh, being more forthcoming about difficult uh, parts of our history, and it's easier to find this type of information because I think that's the best source to go to primarily. Um, I'm not sure that what I've done has impacted my testimony that much in that it's not necessary. I think what it has given me is a greater understanding of the Book of Mormon, a greater depiction of how things might have happened, and realizing that the things we grew up with, you know, the Arnold Freeberg illustrations, uh, aren't that's not the Book of Mormon. Many of those things are not accurate. And in answering the critics, I think oftentimes we feel like we have to defend the Arnold Freeberg illustrations. We have to defend our Mormon traditions about the Book of Mormon, and many of those are hard to defend. And so the purpose of our books and the, and the things I write about are just to let's distinguish the Book of Mormon account from our traditions we've made up to fill in the gaps. And let's defend what the Book of Mormon says, not what we imagine it says, or not what we've been kind of brought up to picture in our minds. And we get to be on much more stable ground that way. And I realize that many of the arguments used against the Book of Mormon have already been answered. The critics don't know that. That's, you know, to be expected. But if we as members of the church don't know that, we should. We should say, well, here's a problem, but this other problem has already been answered. And some we may never know the answer to, but I think we're finding decent responses to a lot of the issues. What evidence have you, you mentioned earlier having seen evidence of horses. Uh, what evidence have you seen in the Mesoamerican landscape that uh, that supports uh, the horse as an animal that's there? Well, what's interesting is just the, the, I would say, the evolution of thought with horses in ancient America. When the Book of Mormon was published, 
the general thought was there were no horses in the Americas before the arrival of the Spanish, and that was it. The fascinating thing is that from time to time, uh, fossil remains or even non-fossilized remains of horses were found in the Americas. Uh, Thomas Jefferson was one who had a collection of these things. He, he liked that quite a bit. But if something uh, that appeared to be ancient horses was found, it was discarded or, or sort of ignored because, well, everyone knew that horses didn't live in the Americas until, you know, the arrival by, by the Spanish. It wasn't until 1848 that was finally um, it was finally accepted that ancient horses did live here. In fact, large animals like horses and elephants and things like that evolved here first. And but of course they didn't live you know past the end of the last ice age. Well, the latest thinking now is that there there are remains that have been found and carbon dated and tested that that go uh, much after uh, the end of the ice age. And um, I've got in our latest book. Uh, an LDS guide to the Yucatan. I've got diagrams of digs that were done in uh, caves uh, in the um, Yucatan area, caves of Loltun, that show horse remains. And other researchers have found horse remains in the Yucatan area and kind of discounted them as being modern horses, but turns out they're not. And so what we're finding is that there are horse remains in places during the Mayan classic period. There are horse remains where um, they shouldn't be from a traditional um, scientific point of view. So the date of when horses were in the Americas keeps kind of getting closer and closer. So the Book of Mormon, I think, may actually be proven right. Um, and so, you know, it's not a popular thing to say, but more and more we're kind of getting closer and closer to that. And that's a great evolution of thought from 1830 when everyone would have said, oh, we all know there were no horses here before the Spanish. Now it's very different, and we're kind of getting closer and closer just to find more support for the Book of Mormon. There's even a... a, a breed of horse called the Bashkir Curly that no one quite knows how it got to the Americas. And there are some horse experts, non-LDS, that think this might have been an ancient American horse that just in small numbers remained here all the time and was never discovered by the Spanish and wasn't known till you know, the 1800s. So, yeah. again, it's not a simple yes, no, A and B answer. There's a lot more to figure out there. Yeah, and I find that interesting as I've looked at uh... – all the anachronisms that critics claim that the Book of Mormon has. If we go back to, like you're pointing out, if we go back to 1830 when the book is, is essentially published and the church is organized. That list is a lot, was a lot bigger then than the list is now. In other words, little by little as time goes on and we discover new things, we've been able to knock a portion of that list uh, essentially off the list and and we should expect, I think, in some ways, that over the next 100 and 200 years, that even more of those items will clearly come off as no longer being anachronisms. That's exactly right. Uh, and there may be some we never do knock off that list. But um, like I say we know so much more now, and there's so much more support now than there was in 1830. There's, there's uh, an account of a Heber J. Grant where someone uh, chides him for believing the Book of Mormon because it mentions cement. And, of course, everyone knows there was no cement anciently. Well, I've got tons of examples of cement. Um, cement was seen by the Spanish and documented. Uh, there's, you know, I, I've seen examples of it. It was used by the Maya. It was used uh, by people in a place called Casas Grandes, where that was their building material. And so that's one where, you know, as um, Elder Delan Jokes has said, don't give up what you know for what you don't know. And, um, you know, there over the years, people could have lost faith in the Book of Mormon for things that were, as you say, apparent anachronisms. And now we go, well, we know it was there. So um, that's where the element of faith comes in and and has to be the, the founding block of the testimony, you know, not archaeological evidence. Hey, Daniel, tell us a little bit about uh, your website, the Book of Mormon Archaeological Forum. Well, it's actually not my website. Um, the the Book of Mormon Archaeological Forum, that's bmaf.org. It's... Um, 
a group of uh, uh, scholars and um, scientists and, and uh, authors and people who study the Book, the Book of Mormon, they give um, annual uh, conferences where they have some you know, fairly big names that get up and, and talk about um, various issues regarding Book of Mormon uh, scholarship and, and um, um, uh, various things. Um, uh, Brother uh, Bushman, who wrote um, you know, what's considered one of the best historical biographies of Joseph Smith. He spoke there one year. They've had John Sorensen. They've had uh, a guy who was a DNA expert talking about the D- DNA issues. Daniel C. Peterson. Um, I've been uh, privileged to speak there a couple of times. So that's one where you can really find kind of, I think, a lot of the latest um, uh, of the results of, of uh, you know, Book of Mormon scholarship and trying to deal uh, in a reasonable way with these issues. Now, I have my own website. I have a blog that I uh, uh, have up about the kind of work that I'm doing, about the books, about other um, uh, ancillary items, about new developments in Mayan archaeology, or even just, you know, things that are interesting that come up that people talk about, you know, giant skulls or um, mysterious um, metal plates. Uh, I mean, these aren't things that just you know, that Mormons talk about anymore. So um, other people are talking about them. And so I have uh, my blog up where I write about these things. I have papers you can download and I kind of examine them and see, you know, is it uh, is there any evidence to support it? Or in some cases there's not. And if there's not, that's what I'll say. Where, where's your site at, Daniel? Uh, mine is uh, ldsguide.blogspot.com. And so you can see the types of things I'm doing there. Like I say, you can download PDFs. Uh, from or taken from the books and from presentations I've given. You can find links to purchase the books or also uh, links, I think, uh, for YouTube on presentations I've given. I've given a presentation on um, uh, hard support for horses in Mesoamerica. I've given a, uh, at the at the BMAS conference. I gave a presentation on metals and gold plates uh, in the Book of Mormon and other places anciently. And you can find uh, and watch that there as well. So you can contact me through that. It's sort of a place where I'm kind of um, trying to continually put up new information that I come across, new research I'm doing, since with the modern age, that's the easy way to do it. You know, one day it's not there, one day it is. So it's a lot different than you know, traditional paper publishing. Right, right. And let's just, uh, for a moment, the two books that you've got, the first one, uh, an LDS guide to Mesoamerica, and then the second one, an LDS guide to the Yucatan. Uh, where can people find these books at? Well, um, you can pretty much get them anywhere that sells books online. So Amazon.com has them. The uh, the first one, LDS Guide to Mesoamerica, is an actual printed book. It's full color. It's hardbound. It's really, really nice. We have a lot of nice images, our own photos and graphics I've created in there from describing all the things, that, the places we went. So you can get that there. You can also get it for Kindle, and um, you can order these directly from our publisher, Cedar Fort. So the second book, an LDS Guide to the Yucatan, is an e-book only at this time. And... Um, so they're they're available for Kindle, but because they're really visually and graphics intensive, the format doesn't translate that well to Kindle. So a good place to get them might be at, from Cedar Fort. Purchase them and download them as a PDF there, and that way you get exactly what it's supposed to look like. But really, any place you buy books online, you can um, you can find uh, our book and uh, some LDS bookstores as well. And I've got links um, on our on our blog that have places you can go and purchase um, the book as well. Wonderful. I'll make sure that I include the links on uh, this episode also. And just, I just want to say I appreciate it. I, I think this is just exciting. I think so often, like I said earlier, so often that the critic is just making so much noise and really trying to hurt the faith of, 
of members of the church, I think it's nice to have a resource where we can go to and say, look, see, there is some basis. There is some reason here to believe. And, and I find that, uh, the geography in Mesoamerica, the, the cities and the things that we find there, uh, both in the books you've talked about, uh, some of the scholars you pointed out. I know John Sorensen in his book. Um, I just find this all fascinating. And I think this is so well needed at a time when, when, faith seems to be so hampered by what we find on the internet in the negative to have something that you're doing in such a, a positive direction. So thank you. Well, I appreciate that. And that's actually one thing that the, the Book of Mormon Archaeological Forum exists is to kind of deal with those issues. They have a lot of information. It can written by people a lot smarter than I am. So you can go to that site and you can search those things. Um, uh, and they have a lot of things you can download and read right there that answer a lot of these topics. So, you know, there's a lot of information. And the, the sad thing to me is we're still arguing about things that, from what I can see, have really already been decided a long time ago. The critics aren't, aren't realizing that, and we aren't realize, re- realizing that as, 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 as well. So I'm thinking that um, there are some valid discussions to have about the Book of Mormon. There are some valid difficulties we need to deal with, but let's deal with accurate information. And I think too much time is spent talking about things which are uh, you know, kind of inaccurate and issues which have already been resolved, but the information just isn't generally known. So that's uh, that's kind of what I'm trying to do and kind of adding my voice to the whole uh, discussion, hopefully. Wonderful. I'll, like I said, I'll make sure I link your blog, ldsguide.blogspot.com, uh, as well as uh, the Book of Mormon Archaeological Forum, which is www.bmaf.org. And then I'll also link uh, the two books that uh, you've been a huge part of. So I appreciate it so much, and thank you for being on the podcast today. Great. Well, thanks for having me. Taking out my issues never healed the 